And I had this whole spiritual day and I'm doing breathwork at this point, starting to get more into it and realizing like, oh, my life is spiritual. And the idea, like I've always believed everything happens for a reason, but I don't exercise it in my life. And now I'm starting to really feel that even the the painful experiences, even when I'm in breathwork and I'm crying or I'm I, anger comes up that like that's that's a part of my experience and it's necessary and it's beautiful. Welcome to the Babble Podcast. I'm your host, Paige Brees, and I am so happy to have you here for some raw and real conversation. People say you should never discuss politics, money, or religion. Well, not here. This is a safe space to dive deep into how religion as a whole has affected our hearts, our minds, and our world. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have a seat at the table, and I invite you to sit with me as I talk with religious leaders, experts, and friends alike. So, without further ado, let's babble. Hello, hello, everybody. Oh my goodness, I am so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. I am here with Zach Campa. He is an incredible human being. Um, I met him in college. We both attended Baylor University. Um, I went there for the entirety of my four years, but he transferred to us for uh, junior and senior year, so the second half. And gosh, his presence was just such an amazing addition. Um, And he is an incredible friend. He is an actor. He is a creative human. Uh, He can do anything, truly. I believe this. And when the pandemic happened, he stepped aside from the acting industry and really embraced a journey of spirituality with breathwork and meditation, and now is an instructor of those things uh, for, with his company, Visualize Healing. Um, his information for that is down in the show notes, so make sure you go and check him out. But oh my goodness, Zach, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here. It's awesome to to see you and, and hear that you're doing this. This is an amazing thing that you got going. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I just, the, the, the root of it came from, I started what I thought was going to be a book, just kind of going through my own journey through the church growing up as a teen and, um, and kind of how the mm-hmm. teachings of my particular church influenced my thoughts on what it meant to be a human first and foremost, but then also a female and a woman. And mm how I thought I was meant to act in relationships and friendships and how that ended up being pretty toxic for me. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through and writing the book, it was all extremely therapeutic, obviously just kind of writing it all out, getting through that yeah. um, and processing memories that I had repressed for so long. Um, and eventually it got to a point where I was like, you know what? I, don't feel like I want this to be a book about just my experience. The greater avenue really for me is to just talk about religion in general with people and, Hmm. and bring it to a dialogue, like a real dialogue, as opposed to just sharing my story, which is, which is powerful, but I prefer to have other people share their stories as well. So that's where this podcast kind of came, came to fruition. So um, totally. That's yeah. awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah. I, Such I'm a necessary so... conversation to have. Like, I, yeah. mean, I think just that's so, um, I think so many people have wounds from childhood religion, me included. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, I, I think it's one of the most important things that we do not talk about. And I think that the church does not take responsibility for, um, or doesn't provide help for, you know, later on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get into this. I think it's really important. I'm happy for you. And I'm glad that you're spearheading this conversation because I think you have the compassion and the, 
Um, you have such a deep level of compassion and empathy just for all perspectives and the way you're even opening up the conversation, talking about different religions and different um, walks in spirituality, I think is going to um, really resonate with a lot of people. Thank you. Okay. So let's talk about you now. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Um, so I would love for you to um, just kind of give us a little bit of your story, kind of where you come from, um, the religion you grew up in, and then um, kind of where you're at at this moment, kind of what you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in the Christian church primarily. My parents were very active in the church. They helped plant several churches growing up. And so I grew up in non-denominational Christian church. Um, as you said, much of your community uh, around you has, and, and you've seen and, and experienced what that's like firsthand as well. Yeah. Um, so grew up in church a lot, usually there two days a week, at least, you know, doing a youth group or anything like that on Wednesdays or, or small groups and things like that. And then going for actual church Saturday nights was when we would go. And for the first uh, I think like probably like nine, 10 years of my life, I was at the same church. And then my parents um, around that time had a bit of a falling out with people at the church. And then we were church hopping and we did that all through high school until my parents planted a church that became very successful in Southern California and is now like a mega church. It started off in our living room and it has thousands of congregation members since high school. So I grew up going to that specific church, then hopped around. We had another home church. And then after that, got into college and stuff like that. So that whole time I, I grew up in, you know, obviously grew up in religion, was around it all the time. It was the only way to, to think, talk, speak. Um, and it was everything. It was in our family. I mean, we prayed before every meal and talked about God all the time, read scriptures. And I went to Christian school from the time I was in kindergarten until uh, through high school, the end of high school. And then I also ended up transferring to Baylor for the second half of college. As you know, obviously that's where we met. <laughs> yeah. So I spent most of my education, really only two years of my, my primary education and upper education, um, only two years, not in Christian school. So I was always surrounded by that community uh, and the expectation and uh, I mean, all of it, it was very, very loud and, and left me with a lot of trauma um, and also left me with some things now that I'm on the other side of it and look back that I'm really grateful for too. Um, as I've worked through my trauma, cause I started to work through a lot of it. And now as I'm getting, through this pandemic, it's been kind of crazy in the last year. You've seen some and we've talked about it. Um, my yeah. spiritual journey has kind of taken off in a new way. And I've been um, stepped, you know, I grew up obviously like, um, as you know, also acting. And that was a big part of my journey as well. So I've done theater my whole life. And in the last year or so, getting out of the industry, I've been really focused on my spiritual journey and creating a new path for myself and starting to practice uh, meditation and practice breath work and practice yoga and a lot of Eastern practices and um, coming back and creating some sort of semblance of a relationship with what I would call God, because I obviously growing up in the Christian church, that's kind of my semblance for how I created uh, a sense of faith um, or was taught. And so God still is, the term God is comfortable to me now. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that feels like home to me still. Yeah. Uh, but there was a time where it didn't. There was a time in college, really, in college and out of college for a couple of years where that word became very uncomfortable to me. So now I'm recreating my relationship with God and making it very um, personal and independent to me and allowing it to uh, take shape and form the way that it needs to in a new way. And so now I'm a breathwork instructor and a meditation instructor, and I'm helping people um, and stepped away from acting completely for now and, and helping people heal their bodies and heal their minds and coming alongside people and showing them the power of their breath and the power of um, what comes from within and, and taking the focus off of, at least for me, going to church in a building and rules 
and trying to um, dig deeper in what does it mean in the day-to-day to create a spiritual routine uh, for yourself and a routine of gratitude, a routine of um, discipline and to love yourself there. Um, so it's been interesting to hop back into it because if you would have talked to me a year ago, I would have told literally a year ago, I would have told you that my faith is not really super present. You know, I'd say I believe in something bigger than all of us, Yeah. but I would be like, I don't really know what I believe other than that. Like, I know there's something that's, that's created us and that, that we're here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not an atheist, you know, but I would have been like, there's no, you know, like I wouldn't have been able to give you much more than that. And now it's a totally different experience. So it's been crazy to go through, what I would call a spiritual awakening in the last mm-hmm. year, which really feels like the first time I've ever had a spiritual life. Like all the stuff that happened in church and all those experiences, like, yeah, I had, you know, moments that were emotional in church or music that I listened to or, um, you know, small groups or things like that where there was an experience to be had, you know, but now it's different, you know, it's, it's totally different. So yeah. Yeah. My life has changed a lot in the last year for sure. Absolutely. No, I feel like that's the case for, for so many people, for so many different reasons, obviously 2020 was a completely transformative year. And I love your story and the fact that, you know, in what you just, what you just told us, you know, you went from church being the end all be all constantly all, all the time. It was your constant, um, just like surrounding energy. And mm-hmm. then you mentioned that when you went to college for two years, that wasn't a Christian school. It's like that you mentioned something about expectations being different or the same expectations weren't there. Um, mm-hmm. and then moving out of that into a prolonged spiritual awakening that you now feel much more comfortable in. Um, I, I would love to hear a bit more detail about what those expectations were that you felt while, while you were really in the church setting, what did that mean for you? Yeah. I mean, growing up in church, it was, I mean, so many things, as you know, obviously it was all rooted in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so that book that I was told so many times by teachers, pastors, um, mentors was not a rule book and wasn't about the rules was very much about the rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. My favorite, my favorite term that I've heard somebody say is the Bible teaches unconditional love with conditions. Yeah. It's yeah, kind totally. of how it feels. Yeah. It does feel that way. Well, especially as a kid, you know, like I think you know, I have friends now that are, that use the Bible and I think are really beautiful examples of Christians. Like I, mm. I've seen it, you know, I've lived it now that I'm older. Um, but that book, exactly what you just said, like it it feels conditional, Mm -hmm. um, to, I think a kid, especially uh, because you're just trying to process it. It's so dense and it's so like, it's just such a dense book with so many intricacies and absolutely it it contradicts itself. And and I think with intentionality, you know, the old Testament and the new Testament say a lot of very different things. And so for me, sorry, go ahead. You go. No, no, you're so fine. I was going to add as well. Um, even the, even the four main gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mm -hmm. and John, they have Mm -hmm. contradictories within them, the books themselves as well. Um, Mm -hmm. that are super interesting to dive into, but that'll be another episode. I'll talk about all that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think you could go on about it forever and I think it's so, I mean, I think it's just as a kid that was very curious as a kid that was uh, a rule follower and was uh, affirmed constantly for how much I was a golden child. I imagine mm. you might've had some of that too. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, like, it was my so, goal to be the perfect child. Yeah, exactly. And you got, you took pride in it. You know, I took pride. Mm-hmm. Like I was that kid that when my older cousins was like, cost a big, you can't do that. <laughs> I think <laughs> God wouldn't, God wouldn't want that. You know, like, I could be a little brat about it sometimes oh, yeah, too. Me too. And, and I was such a rule follower and I, I really bought into the, I mean, when you talk about expectations and you're asking about expectations, I bought into 
all of it, man. Like I was that kid that bought in hard. And I think the expectation showed up in my behavior in general, but when it came to not sinning, really, Mm -hmm. um, I got obsessed with it. Yeah. I became obsessed with not sinning. And even though I was told that we all do, I thought that I still had to, you know, hold myself to a higher standard. And I was always told I was a leader and I got affirmed by so many parents by being, being that golden child from a time I was very young. You know, you're some people, parents would tell me at such a young age, cause I was very articulate. I was very smart as a kid. Um, I spoke very eloquently at a younger age. So parents would be like, you know, to my parents, you're like, your kid is, is perfect. He's such a good kid. He's such a golden child. He's so well-behaved. He follows all the rules. He listens. He never talks back, you know? And so I was getting affirmed and praised for these things. And mm-hmm. I, and I was getting affirmed and praised for the fact that I talked openly about God and how much I loved God. And so I, you know, getting that kind of attention as a kid, all you want is more of that. You know, you, when you see a place to, you know, an area that you can get attention or that you're getting praised or, or acknowledged or loved on yeah. in whatever way it is, you're like, oh my gosh, I want more. And that's, that's how I was. And so for me, the expectations were um, really hard across the board. And, and when it came to not sinning, I became obsessive. And really, I think the way it affected me most was in my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think it worked and the formula worked up until I was about 12. And then you hit, um, you hit puberty and you become aware and conscious of yourself and you start to become aware of your desires and you become aware of the way you look and the way you're dressing and the way people are perceiving you as everyone goes through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think kind of traumatic period, regardless of whether it's, it's prettier or (laughs) or hard, you know, however pretty it is, or if it's a little easier than someone else's journey, I think it's still becoming aware of your body is just kind of innately a bit traumatic. Oh God. And, um, regardless of your walk. And so for me, I became hyper aware. And around that time, my parents gave me a purity ring. Mm. And so I dealt with that whole deal. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. So I got a purity ring and I became very conscious about my desires. And then Mm -hmm. I started to have sexual desire and I, you know, watched pornography for the first time. And I started to have experiences, you know, where I had like a girlfriend in junior high and I had my first kiss and started to experience things and felt awful for them. You know, I, I, I made that commitment to my period when I was probably about 12 before I'd hit puberty yeah. and I'd had any sexual desire. And then I started to have sexual desire and I'd heard so much about it. And then it started to happen. And I was like, wait, is something wrong? I put on this ring and I have this ring on my finger all the time. I'm a hypocrite. And mm-hmm. at that point, because my mind got so you know, intense and you're so hormonal. And obviously when those thoughts start to come in, it becomes very, you know, prevalent at that time. I, I became, you know, really, um, I just was so hard on myself and I, I made a decision when I was that age that there was something chemically wrong, Mm. um, with my brain because I was having so many desires and I was having, you know, I just wanted to, you know, be with a girl. Yeah. I was like, I, I would think about, all the time. And so, because I became so, which I think is so common for that age, you know, you're oh, so absolutely. confused, Yeah. but I was beating the hell out of myself at that time. And so when I decided there was something chemically wrong with my brain, I think was when I planted the seed for what later became a diagnosis of OCD mm. of just having obsessive thoughts in general of trying to control your thoughts. Cause that's what OCD is. Um, it's obsessively trying to find some semblance of control in your mind and not having it. Right. And, and panicking because of it. And it turns into anxiety and depression and all these things. And so as I got into college and um, even through high school too, like my anxiety and my depression um, just kind of got worse because I was so obsessed with being perfect mm. that anytime I had a thought that was what I felt like out of line with the Bible, typically it was sexual thoughts, but sometimes it would be about other things. Sometimes it would just be about saying the wrong things or um, would be about expressing anger Mm. or expressing sadness fully, um, where it was not filtered at all, you know, um, like just true primal emotion, Mm -hmm. uh, feeling tremendous shame for those things too. And so anything really that wasn't just being happier, you know, being in joy started to make me feel, um, awful, Mm -hmm. um, for struggling with it, you know, just for having hardship. And so the expectation was weighed really heavy. Yeah. Um, 
my childhood. And it's taken a lot of years of therapy and a lot of years of um, finding these new methods of healing as well now um, and self self healing and going to holistic healers. I mean, all kinds of things to be able to get to a point now where I can talk about it and not like right now I'm not triggered. Like if Mm -hmm. you would have talked to me a year ago or two years ago, talking about this would have made my anxiety rise up Mm -hmm. and made me feel all the shame and, and, I would have been embarrassed to talk to you about it, or I would have been even afraid um, of being judged um, for it, you know, even a year or two ago. So it's uh, the expectation weighed heavy for sure. It was really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I I can empathize with you so much on that, Um, especially when it comes to the expectation that we put on ourselves because of what we're taught. Um, and, and, Mm -hmm. And to the point you made of, you know, you're, you're told that a good Christian person is always joyful, is always patient, is always kind, is mm-hmm. is always pure um, in mm-hmm. thought and in mind and in spirit um, and in action. And mm-hmm. for a 12-year-old kid, like you said as well, to process that is just impossible. I mean, kids are amazing, and I think they are able to understand more than we think, but to get to expect children to take on these concepts without the grace of making mistakes, Mm -hmm. I think is where things fall short in the teachings. And, and I'm, I'm so, so grateful that you share your story. I'm, I'm so happy that um, you felt comfortable to tell me that I really think it's powerful. I really, really do. Um, So tell us then about how you found these practices that you now teach um, how did you kind of come to these breathwork and meditation practices and what was that journey like for you? Yeah. Um, well, crazy enough, you know, my, my best friend, like a year and a half ago, probably started to really get into astrology mm-hmm. and get into, and astrology and breathwork aren't connected, um, but like got into astrology and into breathwork started going to classes, started to meditate, um, going on retreats. She actually went and did ayahuasca. I don't know if you've ever heard of ayahuasca. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she went and did ayahuasca and had this transcendent experience where her body, um, or I mean her, uh, issues with, uh, uh, she'd had an eating disorder for 13 years and mm-hmm. it went away. Wow. Um, and I'd been best friends with her for, you know, for eight years and walked her through that. And, and she came back from ayahuasca and held my hands and was crying. And she's like, I saw how beautiful I am. And I was like, and she's like crying and I'm holding her hands and I'm like looking at her and I'm seeing this girl that through college, I went to ball state with her my first two years. Like I, I sat with her on the bathroom floor while her mascara was Mm -hmm. dripping down her face, uh, what she thought of her body and um, and how much she hated herself and, and watched her just eat sweet potato fries and have a coffee for lunch. Um, and this person I love so much had this experience and I was like, wait a second, like, this is so weird because like everything I'm conditioned to believe is that the only place that you can experience this is the Christian church, (laughs) you know, like, or otherwise you're doomed. Right. Uh, Yeah. Or you're going to go straight to hell. So yeah. Um, if you search other, you know, if you search elsewhere and so, you know, I hear it and of course I have compassion, um, as you know, anyone would hearing a story like that, you're just like, Oh my gosh. And then I'm at that point struggling with depression and anxiety and, um, I'm vaping nicotine, Mm -hmm. uh, that became a habit after college. I just kind of got into it, stumbled into it and became very addicted without even intending to, it just happened under my nose. And, Mm -hmm. So I'm jolting myself with coffee every day, working at a coffee shop and I'm having nicotine every day. And I'm like (laughs) doing all the things that for an anxious person, you should never be doing. Um, Like, or just, it's going to make it so much worse. Um, I'm like jolting myself instead of trying to find practices to calm my nervous system. I'm doing everything to keep it going to say, you know, go to work, show up every day, show up, show up, show up. Hustle, hustle. yeah. Hustle, hustle, you know, being, being an actor pursued in LA as well, just mm-hmm. go to every audition you can, you know, uh, stay in contact with your agent, have the headshots updated, re- update your reels, shoot more footage, you know, doing everything you can to succeed. And 
at that time, I was so depressed. And then the pandemic started and the depression and the anxiety got worse because I, I, the one thing I've attached my identity to where I feel like I am successful, which is being an actor, mm-hmm. um, because it's something I'm good at. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, at least I'm good at this thing. And I know it makes a difference in the world. And so like, at least I have this. Then the pandemic shuts the industry down and it's like, okay, what the hell am I doing? And I'm playing Animal Crossing and getting high every night on on unemployment. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like so anxious getting like, you know, drunk some nights too. And and on nicotine all day long, going to bed at like 3 a.m., waking up at like 11 and just like, well, I guess there's no there's no bedtime and there's no wake up time. And I guess like, I'm just making money, you know? So what the hell do I do? And I can't even like go to the beach because like they've shut down the beaches to go on the boardwalk. And I live near the beach at that time. Mm. Uh, They've shut down the, the walks completely. And they've been like, I mean, at that point, LA was like, don't go outside. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like in this townhouse with my family uh, truly at a rock bottom. And then my best friend says, you should go to a breathwork class. And then I go to a breathwork class um, around that time, or maybe it was a little before. Uh, and I had this experience where I I was crazy. I mean, I literally had my first dramatic event that happened when I was 12 years old to come up into my consciousness, Mm -hmm. um, and just like demanding to be healed in that moment. Um, and I, I was sweating and I'm, it's like deep breathwork is like deep active breathing for anyone who doesn't know what breathwork is, but it's deep active, um, igniting breath that really allows you to heal and restore your body, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and you can have insane experiences when you're, when you're doing breath work. And so I have this traumatic event come up, I'm crying like hard. Um, and I go into the bathroom, I need to like throw up, um, Mm -hmm. and I purged, um, spiritually, which is something I'd never experienced before. As I started to talk to healers about like what that is, that you can do that, you know, happens on ayahuasca or, um, can even happen on mushroom trips and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so I purge spiritually and I come back and I finish the breath work. And, and at that time I was dealing with really chronic back pain from a previous injury. Mm-hmm. So the physical pain is bad. The mental pain is bad. And I just left that class and I felt lighter. Mm-hmm. My body felt so much lighter and my mind felt clearer and I cried and I, you know, all this stuff happened and I was like, wow, I'm so open. My heart is so open. And, and then after that, I stopped, you know, I didn't go back because I think I was scared. I think I was mm-hmm. scared of my success or scared of my strength. And then, um, as things got harder and harder, I decided to go, uh, back into doing breath work more often. And I started doing it 10 minutes a day and did this little video that Wim Hof, um, who's a very famous breath work instructor, mm-hmm. um, so the Iceman, if anyone wants to look him up, he's incredible. Yeah. He's um, insane and amazing. He is insane. He's such a good guy. <laughs> um, and so I did 10 minutes a day and then 10 minutes a day and then 20 and then 30. And then it started to progress. And I started to go in on, on specific traumas that had to do with my family. And it started to bring awareness um, to my family trauma and my religious trauma. And like, it started Mm -hmm. to give a name to all those things and the roots of it. And like, what was the event that made me decide that I was bad? You know, what was the moment where I decided I wasn't good enough or my sexuality was broken. And I started to see those things very clearly in the middle of breath work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like purging in the bathroom. I had to throw up several times. Like, and I'm like having like, I mean, insane experiences. Yeah. Visceral. Yeah. And then I went out into Joshua tree, uh, with some friends and I did mushrooms for the first time ever and practiced with psychedelics and, and created a spiritual container. And I did a very small amount. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just had this moment we were sitting out on these rocks and we were, we were laying out there, um, in this really spiritual place and the sky was blue and, and we just all laid down on the rocks and we were just quiet and we said a little prayer. And then I just heard this voice that felt like God's voice. It was like, you need to have more fun and you take Mm -hmm. life too seriously. And I was like, what the (laughs) heck? And I was like, what the heck was that? I was like, no. And then I like just sat still again. And it was like, you need to have more fun. And I felt it. Like, I just, it was just like, you, you're, you're too serious. Like you, you're trying to do it all right. And you're trying to do this all perfectly. And, And it was just a moment of relief. Mm-hmm. where I saw that like mushrooms can do this. And and my friend, my best friend read tarot cards for us that night. And nice. 
Um, and they resonated. Like she read three cards for me, like got an Oracle deck or whatever out and read three cards for me. And they were like spot on. And I had this whole spiritual day and I'm doing breathwork at this point, starting to get more into it and realizing like, oh, my life is spiritual. And the idea, like I've always believed everything happens for a reason, but I don't exercise it in my life. And now I'm starting to really feel that even the, the painful experiences, even when I'm in breathwork and I'm crying or I'm, I, anger comes up that like, that's, that's a part of my experience and it's necessary and it's beautiful. And it's those emotions asking to get out of my body and to teach me, you know, how to be more balanced and to love myself better. And so from then on, I'm doing breath work and meditation all the time. And then I start my company in the last year and I'm helping other people with this stuff uh, just because I, I started to lead friends mm -hmm. and they started having spiritual experiences as well. And to really feel like relief in their bodies and their minds. And I was like, wow, this is insane. Like I can't, I can't believe I get to do this for other people. And so, and for myself. And so I started to and really in the last year, the lesson I learned from doing breathwork that I think is the most important lesson that I would give anyone is the idea that life is happening for you, not to you. And this whole pandemic has felt like it's happening to us. Um, and I started to find that in myself, like, like even the things that are painful are lessons. Um, and they're not, they're not a uh, damnation. Mm. Uh, like I used to believe, um, yeah. which is, is so hard, you know, like that lesson is not something that can just be preached to someone and they just get it. You know, like, I don't want to ever say that to someone to be like, you just need to get this. Like, no, it has to be felt and experienced on your own. And that lesson has to be learned in time naturally. But I mean, yeah, it was just such an insane, um, journey getting to, to teach at this point and, and getting to this point through, being so resilient you know, a year and a half ago, never wanting to do anything like this. And then having experiences that I just couldn't deny, you know, yeah. that was really what was happening. Like I was having these experiences that were spiritual when I'd kind of negated that part of my life and said, that's not for me or other people can maybe have that, but that's not going to be my life. And then what I would call God kind of, you know, almost smacking me around, like just hitting <laughs> me in the forehead and being like, I'm right here. And me mm. being like, holy crap. And this isn't church. This isn't me. I don't hate myself right now. Mm. I'm not thinking about all the things that I'm doing wrong. And I'm not thinking about how innately bad I am or how bad my sexuality is or my desires, or, um, if I drink or smoke, or I'm not shaming myself. Like I feel free, you know? Yeah. And so it was, it's been crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> really absolutely. Crazy. And I feel like too many people, um, particularly people who have grown up in a, like a building, a church building, um, or a religion that has a very regimented culture. I think too mm. many people discount the power of a purely spiritual inward practice. Um, yeah. and how important that is in a person's own journey to understanding what they believe in terms of religion, but also in terms of just the spiritual, because I feel like there's not enough discussion early on in a religion about the spiritual aspect of it. I feel like too many churches, kind of like what we were saying with the Bible, like there are a lot of spiritual experiences that people in the Bible go through that are not mm. in a building. Um, yeah. But the the teachings of those stories become very regimented, become very conditional, become very, you know, this is what you have to do in order to achieve what this person did, even though that mm -hmm. might not be that, even though that might not be the case, it, it could mm -hmm. be as not as simple, but it could be something like doing breath work um, or sitting in meditation and coming to that conclusion yourself or understanding within yourself what needs to be healed or what you and God need to discuss. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. it's not, I feel like the discussion is never how can you and God or you and divine or you and the universe, however you want to name it, how can you come to an understanding between yourself and, um, and the higher power mm -hmm. for you and what's going on with you? Um, totally. I, I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was finished. Can, go ahead. I, I, um, no, I agree 100%. Um, 
I think the church is um has a lot of fear still. Mm. And the church is afraid of looking elsewhere. And I think the holding and clinging to the Bible that is so intense, which I totally believe some stuff in the Bible. I'm not, I don't, I don't know where my relationship stands, you know, fully with the Bible. Sure. Um, I haven't figured that out yet. That's mm-hmm. something in my journey that I'm still exploring as I'm exploring many other things. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot of fear in the church around finding divinity in other places and honestly within yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think it's because then it's like, then you, you're making yourself God Mm -hmm. and you, you're a threat then, or you're whatever, which is really, it turns into just like martyrdom and it turns very quickly. Like the, the church can, I mean, I was thinking about this, like recently I had this thought that like, there's so many songs that I used to sing in church that were like, make me. And not all songs, but there were some that were would say lyrics like "I am bad and God is good," and "I am bad and God is good." Mm-hmm. And I think about those lyrics and what that does to you because as I've started to study breathwork and study what happens psychologically with words and what happens when you speak certain things over yourself, and the power just of our minds. Like if you say my body is unhealthy, and you say it every single day, and I'm going to live a short life you're going to live a shorter life. Like if you say every single day, your brain and your body will adapt to the beliefs that you have about yourself. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've started to learn through coaching breathwork is how powerful it is when you speak over yourself and you say, I'm loved and I am beautiful and I'm divine and I'm capable and I'm worthy of money and I'm worthy of success and I'm worthy of love and not for greed. It's not some like nasty desire. Um, it's just, believing in yourself like having confidence right in the fact that you're you're worthy and that you're not just condemned or bad yeah and i think the church is afraid of that i think the church is really afraid of that because then you're making yourself god and you're not making the church god Mm -hmm. no i completely agree and there are um so many neurological studies that have gone into that very topic that the of the literal rewiring of your brain with the words that you say and the thoughts that you think and that whatever it sounds really like woo woo or whatever but truly whenever you tell yourself i am you know i'm loved i'm worthy i'm deserving over and over and over and over again that's where you get confidence that's where you like you your brain literally takes away the old thoughts that you would have of, Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. And it replaces them. And that's, those are the thoughts that just subconsciously come up for you. Um, and it, your, your brain can literally rewire itself neurologically, um, to be healthier, to be happier, to heal. Um, you have to sit and do the work with it. And I really do believe, like I said, that breath work and meditation, um, and daily affirmation are a huge, huge proponent of that for, um, I mean, I know you can attest to that. It's been a huge part of my spiritual practice recently and it has changed everything. You know, it has made me believe that I am worthy of success. Like you just said, it has made me believe that I am capable enough to lead a podcast like this and start a conversation around religion and, um, and be able to use my voice in order to, you know, usher in other healing for other people. Um, and it's, it's truly powerful and it's not, yeah, I think you have a, a beautiful point. I think the church is afraid that if they tell their following to have these kind of spiritual practices, instead of how they're teaching the religion of the Bible or their doctrines, then yeah, more people are going to realize that yeah, I'm capable of doing so many things and I'm capable of having my own relationship with God, with the universe, whatever name you want to put on it. And the churches can be a wonderful place, but it can also be a very manipulating place. And I think that that is something you don't really recognize until you step outside of it for a little bit. Mm, Yeah, no, it's so true. And I think that the the church being afraid of it, I think is also tied to money because mm-hmm. they're trying to get people in the congregation and trying to get people to tithe. Yeah. 
so that they have money. Like, and, <laughs> and that's a very capitalistic endeavor. Like it that's is. a, that's, that's a, that's a capitalism thing. And that doesn't mm-hmm. have to do with finding your inner power and helping other people find their inner power. Cause when we become spiritual beings and not just religious beings, I think when you truly step into the spiritual and you start to realize the divinity within you and you meditate and you sit still and you get to that state like of, of complete stillness, uh, which takes practice and time. And it's not easy. You know, like yeah. I've had, I've gone through so many meditations where I don't get there, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not, you know, it's not always by any means, it's not perfect, but when yeah. you do get there, you connect to the consciousness of all of humanity and, and, and all of nature and you start to become um just more loving because you realize like i am me or i am you and you are me that we are that we are one as a humanity and and that's why love draws us together and why hate and divisiveness judgment all tear us apart is because we forget that like i am you and you are me mm-hmm. that the way i treat you is the way that i'm treating myself regardless of what that behavior is uh the more i judge you uh, is only an indication. If I'm judging you, that's an indication of how much I'm judging myself. And so being able to go into those spiritual practices and connect to the consciousness of the world or the universe makes you just more loving and more selfless, and it makes you more confident. And it's not just going to church to check the box. And then it's like our organization and our church is the most important. And forgetting Mm -hmm. people on the outside because i don't think churches always do their job when it comes to actually connecting with community and and helping homeless people you know in la especially like growing up in la there's so many churches and so many homeless people that like live outside those churches yeah um you know just live on the outskirts of those churches and i'm like if you were doing your job you'd be more concerned about that you wouldn't be concerned about the color of the wallpaper Mm -hmm. like you wouldn't be concerned about the money you're making and you wouldn't be in scarcity about money either. You wouldn't be like worried, you know, um, right. you'd be in abundance. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy when you become more tapped into the spiritual, I think you start to see how connected we all are. And I think that is so worth it. Like, I think that's so worth digging into, um, instead of like the it's it's about me mindset which i think churches can do sometimes and it it, mm-hmm. it can become very selfish the motives instead of thinking about all all of humanity and how we can service each other yeah no i completely agree um kind of going off of that yeah i grew up in a suburb of dallas that was very like up and coming the it was always a nice area but over the course of my almost 20 years living there um or 18 years living there yeah i um you know i saw it grow into this really uppity like nice fancy all new city and mm. our church grew with it kind of similar to the story you you mentioned how you you guys started a church from your living room and now it's a mega church Our Mm -hmm. church started in the gymnasium of an elementary school and is now one of the biggest churches in the state of Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. And I never once saw any outreach to the homeless community in the inner city of Dallas Mm. ever. And there were multiple times where like some friends of mine went to other churches um, throughout the city. And one friend of mine, in high school, his church was in an area south of Dallas that's kind of known as being the bad part of town, if you want to mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. And yeah. um, and I told my mom that I was planning on going to church with my friend. She asked where the church was, and I told her. And she didn't like my my mom is a kind hearted woman. She's a very patient woman, but the first words that came out of her mouth were, Oh, that can't be, that's you, that can't be a very good church. It's not in a very good area. Mm. And I was like, I don't think you realize what you're saying at the moment, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's that kind of mindset that like, Oh, a good church is in a good area and a mm. 
and a iffy church is in an iffy area that like that seed I, even at the moment I knew it was not, it was wrong to think that, but that seed got planted in me. And I kind of kept that for throughout college and for a few years after college, where if the church mm. didn't look pretty or the area wasn't nice, I probably shouldn't go to that church, mm. which I think is a, which I think is something that a lot of people don't realize that they're thinking, but they are when they come from, especially when they come from areas of privilege um, or from means of privilege that the, you know, the church is supposed to be this beautiful building and with nice wallpaper and pretty seats and a great choir and a a gorgeous organ and stained glass windows. But, you know, but then we're taught that the church is not a building, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. very, it's very kind of hypocritical in that. And I, I completely agree with you that there needs to be a, a larger aspect of the, the communal consciousness of humanity mm-hmm. and realizing that, yeah, we're, we're all different. All of us have different stories, but we're all human. We all have that reality of being human beings. And we, we are here on this floating rock together. <laughs> so we need to mm-hmm. make sure that we're all caring for each other on this floating rock together. Um, yeah. Because there's totally. no, like you said, there's no point in us being divided. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no point. And I think that's a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing to strive for is to yeah. lead in love. I think so too. Yeah. And I think what you were saying before, I think that um, as a perfect example of uh, religion becoming elitist mm. And I think that when it becomes elitist, it becomes capitalist. When it becomes about money, I mean, that's what happened when the Catholic Church broke off way back in the day. It was like, mm-hmm. you pay for your salvation. Um, and so I think that idea, you know, that happened when the Catholic and the Protestant Church broke off and money started to become like, hey, you can pay for your salvation here. You can pay for your salvation here. I think we forget that there scientifically you know that epigenetic epigenetic coding exists and generational trauma exists Mm -hmm. and so the idea that's something that has been my eyes have been very open to through this pandemic is the idea of generational trauma um especially with all that's been happening with racism Mm -hmm. and how how you know awfully hard this year has been um and necessary for bringing things to the light but also how painful it's been and, and my heart going out to my um, African-American brothers and sisters mm-hmm. for the, the, just the, the, the generational trauma that's being unearthed because they've already lived through this through their ancestors yeah, and are having to live through it again in a new way. The same with the church, you know, when we like have broken off and we say, you know, the church breaks off and says you can pay for your salvation and it becomes about money. Uh, those wounds have to be healed in some way. Yeah. Like those wounds have to be addressed um on a generational scale and so and that happens you know through time i think that's what's happening through this pandemic i think it is kind of generational trauma being unearthed and healed and a lot of our perceptions and things are being shifted that's kind of what this whole thing is i think Hmm. um is that we're healing on a mass scale and that the people who are going to take that and run with it and like see the purpose in it will come out stronger for it and i think the people who stay asleep to it won't necessarily get those benefits as much Hmm. which i pray everyone does yeah um but I think that's something we have to take into account with churches like elitism and capitalism have been something that I mean, it happened in the Bible too. Like that's when the Pharisees took over the temple and, and, and started, you know, trying to sell yeah. in the temple and Jesus walked in and was like, what are you doing? You know? And <laughs> I think Jesus tables. would walk in. Yeah. I think Jesus would walk around, walk into, you know, a lot of churches now and walk into, you know, governmental buildings and be like why are you just trying to profit mm-hmm. like why are you trying to profit all of this why like off of off of people like why are you not like bringing people in and making it about community and making it about saving people um not necessarily in faith but just like literally saving people's lives physically you know like like they need food they need shelter right. um like why is that not the the number one concern so Mm-hmm. I think those things need to be taken into account that there's wounds that are old, old wounds that people have perspectives like that. Um, like you said, I don't think your mom was even intending it. No. I think those are just subconscious beliefs that we have because of our parents and past generations teaching us about um, 
the value of money and how important that is and and having a you know like you said a pretty building and it's like for what you know like who like if if not everyone is welcome here then what are we doing here you know right yeah no absolutely yeah there's so much to unpack um for sure but i mean just the stories that you've told about your own spiritual journey are incredible and i am mm-hmm. so so grateful that you felt comfortable to share those things with me. Um, I'm so happy to hear that you are able to now teach these practices to other people. Um, where can people find you to, to work with you? Um, I think the best place to be honestly is to go to my Instagram. Um, and it's, uh, V I Z U A L I Z E visualize. So visualize with a Z Mm -hmm. and then healing. H-E-A-L-I-N-G, visualize healing with a Z. Um, yeah, I think that's the best place to go. Um, and if people, yeah, want to come try breathwork, they're more than welcome to get into some of these practices because they really are are beautiful. Yeah. And would love to help anyone heal physically, mentally, spiritually. And I think anyone, especially that comes to the plate with uh, religious trauma, will be able to find something there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a good conversation. I love talking to you about these things. <laughs> I love talking to you too. This is an amazing. Thank you for what you're doing. And I think you're really going to, um, I think you're onto something. And I think that this work is really important. And I hope that you just keep chugging along and interviewing as many people as you can. Because I think the stories are going to be um, many when it comes mm. to this subject matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, there are so many people who have so many stories to tell and i yeah i want to hear them all because no one should feel yeah. alone in in the fact that they have trauma around this and i think that's important yeah absolutely mm.